stranger took up a wooden table in two hands and tossed it as though it were a pebble. The table soared across the room, smashing headlong into two of the men. Bones snapped and splintered like dry twigs beneath the force. The other men did not stop to look at the crumpled heaps of flesh that had once been their comrades. They were no longer driven by their king's commands, but the desperate need for survival. Eyes drawn wide in awe at the display of strength, each man knew they must fight or die. Hello, and welcome to episode 10, yes, episode 10 of Rogues in the House, where Matt is going to rap for us. Take it away. Rogues in the house. It's Rogues in the house. We've literally been doing this for like 20 minutes. So this is is an interesting episode because I got a new computer, uh, and we're having all kinds of audio difficulty, but... Rather than, uh, you know, fix it and try to give you guys good quality, uh, we just said we were going to go ahead and record it. <laughs> so, okay. so we That's will fix it in the future. We're hoping that this isn't too bad. Um, but that is sort of the, the pre-episode um, disclaimer. So It was awesome when Alex was trying to fix it and I was just rapping on top of it. Making yeah. it worse. No, that was and really, we'd giggle, that was and he'd get mad, and he'd be like, get off our lawn! <laughs> that was helpful. No, it, it's always good when you're trying to hear audio, and you talk <laughs> right through the whole thing. That's, uh, that's super If you want me to get off your lawn, let me get off your lawn, you've got to invite me into your robes <laughs> in the house. <laughs> robes in the house. All right. Oh, I, I can't. So, I can't. anyway, for those of you still Lord with knows. us... <laughs> For those of you still listening in this episode, uh, you've heard Matt. I think you've heard Logan at this point. What's going on, dude? How you doing? Doing, doing good. Yeah. Um, better on this end than on your end. No. Um, I do not envy your technical difficulties. No. I feel for you. I will get um, it. I do. I, it will be fixed for the next one for sure. Uh, if I can't make it any better on this one, I think that might um, kick off the idea of getting the new, uh, the new microphone. We'll see how that works. Which seems kind of like unfair because out of the three of us, I had the best mic anyway, and now I have to buy another. Yeah. Mic. So show off. Yeah. Kind of. Like, I have a big boy job. I can buy cool things. <laughs> <laughs> so as much as I'm sure everyone is super thrilled to hear us uh, go back and forth rapping and talking about <laughs> technical difficulties, we probably should introduce mm. the episode. Um, yes, and, and I always do it, so I'm going to let Eeny, um, Meeny, Miny, Mo, Logan, why don't you do it today? What are we going to talk All about? All right. What are we talking about? Uh, are we going to do the bizarre of the bizarre, or are we just going to skip over that one today? See, this is why I do the intros, because you have to say what the episode's about before you get into the pre, you know. The, I don't the recall passed that. The okay, we're doing, we are doing I an episode it. on sword and sorcery world building. Whether it be for writing or for gaming, and was, I think we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. That was good. You did good. You recovered well. Excellent. You're, we're gonna call you up to the bigs at some point. Word. <laughs> All right. So, world building it is. But first, as is tradition, we must uh, endeavor to find our points of interest within the bazaar of the bazaar. So, who wants to go first? I think I went first last time, so Matt can go. All right, I'll go first. I just want to point out that when you, we got to get like a sound effect when you enter into the bazaar of the bazaar. 
we need like some laser sounds, like some old school, like He-Man styled yes. soundboard action. We gotta figure that out. Yeah. Um, or I could rap on top of it, but I won't do that. I, I, we've already established <laughs> that we are uh, a very low-budget um, outfit. I don't know that we have it in the budget to add sound effects. Oh no, we just we just steal those. We just steal <laughs> yeah. those sound effects. Let, let me, re- let me rephrase that. I don't know that I have the time to add sound effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm not paying anyone for laser sounds yeah. and like no. the sound of uh, you know that vanishing sound when someone goes through a portal. Yes. Yeah. No. You know what I'm talking about. But please, I I think the four hours of editing that you guys make me do per episode as it is, uh, isn't enough. Let's add more. Well, we could not edit, and then no one could listen. That's true. true. Well, we might find that on this episode anyway, so we'll see. Meanwhile, everyone who is listening is like, "You guys edit this?" (laughs) (laughs) Not well. Uh, Okay. Let's uh, let's move on here. So, uh, my point of interest this week. Uh, there's one thing I want to point out before I forget, and that is that Heroic Fantasy Quarterly have just popped up a Kickstarter um, for their Best of Volume 3. If you are not familiar with Heroic Fantasy Quarterly uh, and you're listening to this show, you probably should be. Um, they're uh, pretty, they're, they're very much bread and butter, sword and sorcery, uh, serious editing troupe. Um, great stories. I have the first two volumes and I've already pledged for volume three. Uh, and you can actually pick up the first two volumes during this Kickstarter as well. And really they're just raising money to get it done. And, um, to, uh, like any extra money above their goal will be for art, uh, etc. So check that out. Um, the other thing I picked up, uh, this week, well, last week was at Free Comic Day, and my local uh, friendly game store has a 20% off sale. No, 25% off. Hello. Uh, and that's Canuck Bucks, so it's really important to get those sales. You Americans don't know how good you have it. Stop complaining about shipping prices, please. Um, although you're about to get smacked with that soon, though, aren't you? <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, so I went to the store, and I obviously picked up a bunch of sword and sorcery uh, things because that's what I do. And one of the things I got was this beautiful hardcover uh, comic collection called Red Sonia, the Ballad of the Red Goddess. And this is put together by Roy Thomas as a writer, uh, whom I'm sure you all know from his days in Conan as the Conan editor on Barbarian and Seven Sword of Conan. And you've got artists Esteban Morato and Santi Casas. I don't know if I'm saying that name right or not. But I don't normally go for Red Sonia books. I don't typically like them. I don't think the writing is strong. I don't necessarily think the character is great outside of her uh, iconography. However, this book did catch my eye. It is a reprint of a volume they put together in the 70s and it was a spanish exclusive so it has been translated to english it is black and white and red and i will just say this is worth buying for the art alone if you are not familiar with esteban morado especially he is a brilliant artist um you may have an old copy of conan the flame knife 
which was one of those Sprague to Camp re-edits of an REH story into a Conan story. But the art in that old edition was Esteban Morado, and it is fantastic. So I won't say much for the writing on this one. Um, Sonia's origin story is a little problematic in my mind. Uh, it's not the most modern take, and that's okay. But if you look at the whole thing as a cheesy bit of grindhouse, um, the story works, and you you won't you won't be disappointed by the art. So if you see that at a good price, I do recommend picking it up because it is beautiful, and the whole book is beautiful, though a short read. If you can get twenty five percent off at your local game store on Free Comic Day, do it. Nice, um, Logan. Did you want to go, or do you want me to go? Go for it. Go for it, Alex. All right. So. Uh, mine is a uh, sort of a brand new announcement. I think it may have even come out today. We're recording on May 14th. Uh, oh, yes. But it is the uh, new Jendi uh, uh, Tartavosky, and I probably butchered the name, but hopefully not. Jendi Tartavosky's uh, new cartoon that is apparently greenlit for Adult Swim called Primal. For those of you who have not seen this, uh, and it seems like pretty much everyone already has since it's all over the place. Uh, it's probably about a one-minute clip uh, of some of his amazing art. He, by the way, uh, is the uh, driving force behind one of my favorite um, cartoons, Samurai Jack. So you guys, if you've seen that, you know kind of what to expect. Uh, but So anyways, but Primal, uh, set in some sort of Stone Age uh, setting. Definitely dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Yeah, mammoths, dinosaurs. lots of blood. Yeah. Looks uh, it looks very brutal. Uh, looks like everything that we all would be very into. I really, really dig those saber-tooth wolf uh, creatures oh, yeah. that had like the blood, yeah. and they came they, like the pair of them looking up. Um, again, I'm just trying to pick things out of a, a one-minute clip. Uh, apparently, it's going to uh, premiere in the fall. Um, yeah. No date yet, but it looks like it's uh, going to be. It looks pretty sweet. Pretty super sweet. rad. Yeah. Yeah. Like I am all in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't get a Conan Amazon series like this. Is like yeah. this is where the rest of my hype is going. And, yeah, I love everything I'm seeing in that. And and, and I, did you guys watch Samurai Jack? I yes, I, I, I did watch it. the old I and the new. Like I liked it all. The, it, the stories, and I, again, I get it. You may not be into like medieval samurai uh, fighting robots. Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. But like the story and the writing for that was always really really cool and the imagery yeah. that he like he tells a lot of story without words i don't know if you guys yeah there's that. definitely yeah. one episode that has no dialogue yeah there's more than I mean, a few. is there more than one i think like a of a, a true animator is going to play with the idea of just the animation at a time right tell yeah. a story with the with the frame with the picture um with the movement rather than you know uh, a narrative it's like yeah. what what Pixar does very well in like their short films right. too, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And you I'm get a good um, fire and ice like feel from this as well. I think. Agreed. Yep. That's yep. the first thing I thought of. So I don't know. I'm pretty psyched for it. Uh, not that I want to rush the summer, uh, but it seems like there's um, some nice treasure to be had uh, in the fall and in the upcoming uh, months. And it gives us, it gives us material to cover because we will definitely be. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll be touching on that. Yeah. Oh, and then the other one little thing that I wanted to touch upon is, as you all have heard already, I've got a new computer, which is pretty cool. But that does, uh, if I assuming I sort out all the 
uh, recording stuff, uh, it does green light my ability to provide um, some thoughts on um, Conan Unconquered when that comes out a little later this month. Remain Unconquered! Thank you. That was well-timed. Um, You're welcome. And maybe even um, so, show some gameplay. I, th I was thinking about that, too. Maybe we can get um, Logan to sit in and chatter. I would and die. Matt, and Matt, if he's awesome. not too busy. I don't know. I don't really like this show, so... <laughs> it's, it's more that you're like, actually, of the three of us, you're probably the busiest right now. Yeah. yeah I got a, a heaping plate of from various, uh, various sources. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. All right, Logan, you're up. So, first off, real quick, I wanted to say that uh, Matt mentioned Roy Thomas, and over the past two days, we've been having ridiculous co uh, conversations about uh, old 90s cartoons, including Thunder the Barbarian. Roy Thomas wrote eight of those episodes. Of course so that's he did. Cool. But that's an 80s cartoon. Of course he did. Or, uh, yeah, fair. 80s cartoon. Um, but my real uh, item that I want to talk about, uh, I didn't use thing there. That was for you, Matt. Um but now you just did. Also, I didn't mention a monk when he was talking about Samurai Jack, but now I just did. Move on. <laughs> uh, so over the weekend, I got the opportunity um, to read an advanced copy of Crossbones and Crosses uh, by uh, an anthology put out by uh, Rogue Blades Entertainment um, so I could review it. And... It was awesome. I, I, I will admit I didn't read every story because it was kind of like a, a deadline that I had to meet uh, because he wants to get it out by REH days, which is uh, a, a rapidly approaching. Pretty soon. Yeah. I would just uh, say Robert e. Howard, Robert e. Howard days for those who may not know. Um, Fair. In Cross Plains, Texas. Yes. Um, but it is an anthology of stories that are either about pirates or crusaders or sometimes both. And they are not sword and sorcery, but they are more like a uh, straight historical adventure. They don't have magical elements or weird elements. Um, so it's more along the lines of Harold Lamb or Robert E. Howard's um, historical fiction. Um, but they were great. Uh, generally, when I think of pirates, I think of like Assassin's Creed Black Flag, you know, like drinking rum, Johnny Depp style kind like a, of stuff. Like a Blackbeard, you know. Right, but that's ridiculous because piracy is in a super old occupation, and there are stories in this anthology that cover all kinds of pirates, and that was a pleasant surprise for me just because I didn't think about it. Um, there are Japanese pirates in here. There's a samurai story, and it was actually one of my favorite that I read. Ooh, that's big for you. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. It is big for me. That's not, your period. <laughs> that's not your period, so I mean. No, it is not. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really cool. Uh, it should be out, um, by Robert E. Howard days. Uh, and it is in both Kindle and it is going to be in print. Although I'm not sure if print comes out the same time Kindle does. Uh, but you can always check the Rogue Blades Entertainment website for more information on that. Awesome. Yeah, they have, I love the ideas for their, um, their anthologies and I was oh, actually yeah. very looking, unique. Yeah, just great uh great hooks, great concepts. Um and obviously they would like prompt writers to create something specifically for them, which is always kind of cool. Yeah. Um yeah, I was bumping around on the website uh yesterday actually 
looking at the past releases and uh, I'm going to get my hands on a few, not just because, you know, we're going to be featured in uh, some upcoming volumes, but yeah, well, yeah. Our, our work, not me. Right. right. <laughs> um, I think it's what their 10th anniversary of their first one called rage of the behemoth, which is yeah. now out or will soon be out in print. What an awesome I know title. that it's really hard for me to read books on Kindle. I just get distracted because it's on my phone and I'm lineal and I have marbles in my brain. Um, so print edition sounds really enticing to me. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm old and, and it is their way. works. It's not like it's a, uh, a centerfold of the two of them uh, in, the, in the middle of the, of, <laughs> of the issue. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> the rogues in the house. Oh, Lord. All right. All right, move past it. All so, right. Yes, let's move past it. Uh, shall we get to the world building? We should. All right. We have. Can, uh, I, can I start? Can I just start? Yeah, yeah start. Do it. Okay. Do it. Do it. World building doesn't matter in sword and sorcery. Ooh, Boom. Big Done. statement. I love it. All right. That, <laughs> have a good night. I'm actually that's one of the questions. So um, I I'm kind wrote, of kidding. There's, there's like, a lot more. Sorry. There's a lot yeah. more. Uh, I was just trying to be controversial, but I partially believe <laughs> that move past it i i agree um so that's actually something i put on here as a bullet point i kind of went down a rabbit hole myself as i wrote our kind of outline um because we do edit and we do outline it might not seem like it but we do um but we're gonna start off what is your foundation who are you asking anybody well, there's only two other guys here, so uh, Alex, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think, Alex? And so, actually, Alex, I, I want to defer to you um, on this because you know uh, Fritz Leiber's setting more than everyone else. So if I, I don't mention that, if we don't mention that now, I do actually want to get to it. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot slightly for that. I was looking into it before we recorded. I'll do the I'll do the best I can. Uh, I know yep. I know it better than everyone else here. Not the better than everyone else. So where do you start? So let, uh, taking just a quick step back, right? The, a lot of this came out of the last episode in, in terms of a conversation uh, with Scott Odin. I think we started to explore some of the ideas that he had offline. Yeah. And mm. from that, uh, we started to ask questions of well, what does it mean to build a world? And for me, I'm not really a writer, so I can't answer that. And from that point of view, I can talk about it from an RPG point of view a little bit more. Um, and, you know, since we're talking sword and sorcery, that's your, that's your foundation. To me, there's, as we've said, there's certain things that uh, I look for and that we agree upon, at least uh, tangentially. Um, and I always start with a city. Like I have to have like a vision for me of that starting point. Is it, is this going to be a medieval city, a Middle Eastern city? What what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it what does it smell like? Uh, mm. And from there, the world will start to build a little bit. And of course, you know, it, it all it does. It's not like linear, right? You have a lot of ideas at the same time. I already know that. Yes, I'm going to have you know X Y Z, um, you know different races, different monsters, that sort of thing, whatever I'm going to add in there. That's really interesting that you, that you do start from a city. Um, yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot to that because think of our quintessential or uh, sword and sorcery tales and the ones that really 
sort of started things. You got your Tower of the Elephant. You've got your uh, Phoenix on the Sword. You've got your Shadow Kingdom. They're mm-hmm. all about, you know, they all really take place in a city. It's not like some yeah. Viking tale up in the north. Yeah. And I mean, Sword and Sorcery, obviously, it's not necessarily about um, the specific setting. But I really do think there's a lot to it, especially when you consider how much of it was pioneered by Robert E. Howard and you have the civilization versus barbarism. I mean, a city is is really the perfect starting point. And, and I think you define yeah. your flavor that way. Yeah. You know, and, and even if and even if you were to say, okay, I'm not going to do a city, but I am going to do um, some sort of a, a Viking setting which puts us in, you know, villages or something like that. That's the same idea, right? Maybe it's not putting you yeah, in sure. a, a city proper, but now you have sort of built some parameters of your world already. Yeah, and think of other giant, um, you know, other quintessential sword and sorcery settings like with Elric, right? Like the city. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. How do you pronounce that goddamn? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Melnibone. Yeah, but I mean that that was all that was very crucial to to that story, especially the first right. few, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, city. Okay, uh, you got a okay. little foundation built there, Alex. Good job. Thank you. Your turn. Where do you start, man? Well, do you start with like a plot idea? Like, we'll take it from a writing point of view for you. Okay. Yeah. Right? All right. Do you, yeah. Do you have a like a general plot in your mind? And you're and you're a person who's working on a. You, you've put together a world, right? A lot of your works are starting to tie together in, in a single set. Yeah. So I might have, uh, I think I've probably discussed this in the past slightly, but for me, I write the, the setting is developed based on the stories I wish to tell. So the setting for me is very much an afterthought. Um, like, or the, or the, the, the world building, I should, I should say. Um, I will build the world based on what I require for the story. And my world has sort of come together um, based on the stories that I've written. So, but there's, I also look at it as an opportunity to create my own sandbox that I want. I can put in all the ingredients um, that I want, or should I say the sandbox, keeping with this metaphor, all the toys that I want. Um, and I can throw out all the cat turds that I don't want. Mm-hmm. So um, I was very deliberate at, you know, the things that I really love and that I know would work in a sword and sorcery context, I was sure to put them in. So I've adopted aspects of like alien and sci-fi without the tech, uh, all while keeping it, you know, medieval. Um, and, you know, obviously my other favorite things like, Robert E. Howard and Joe Abercrombie, things from The Witcher, like all, all kinds of little portions make their way in there. Um, but when I said at the beginning of the show, world building doesn't matter to sword and sorcery, I don't mean that it can't. I mean that that's not the important piece. It doesn't matter if you're like a, you don't need to be a Steve Erickson and tell this, you know, have this massive sprawl of history and um, magic rules, um, systems, you can, it's really all about the heroic aspect, right? It's about the, and it's about the weird. 
it's it's the flavor that is far more important than the rules right. of your study. But let's not right? lose sight of the fact that there is an essay called The Hyborian Age, you know. Sure. And that, yeah. is, that is very yeah. much a world-building essay, in my opinion. And exactly, it is. And the truth is, I mean, Robert E. Howard was really writing through a historic lens and he was taking the pieces that he want and he absolutely built a world for his setting. But you also see in Howard where there's certain things he just ignores because he's writing another yarn at the time. Like Acheron didn't yeah, pop it's up. It's not until, there at all. That's right. It didn't pop up until Hour of the Dragon when he wanted to pop it into a story. So he did. And you know what there's I a mean? like, number of um, you know, like older cultures that he mentions that don't pop up. It's not it's not the Silmarillion. Right. And it's in, right. Absolutely. It's a guideline. It's an outline. Yeah. And I, and I'm really, and that isn't to say that like, we're not minimizing the work that was done there or the importance or the cool right. factor of the Hyborian age essay. It's just that, um, I just feel with sword and sorcery is a little more shooting from the hip and yeah, all the, like, I am not drawn to sword and sorcery at all because someone spent a lot of time on their setting. There's aspects that are really cool, but I'm there for the flavor. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a double-edged statement. Like mm -hmm. you're there for the flavor, but the setting is one of the big spices in that flavor. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I guess and there's a reason why, um, you know, Logan, for example, prefers a, you know, certain settings like you you enjoy those desert settings a lot yeah you know i do over other certain settings so i mean you're you're going to be drawn to something and and now again maybe that's not world building necessarily but you can't you can't deny that that's a, a major ingredient in the whole recipe there yeah yeah no i wouldn't i wouldn't deny that Stop and honestly mind. the the desert is more uh is more sword and sorcery in my mind too Right, and we've um, talked about that. Like we all, the three yeah. of us feel that that's a very sword and sorcery setting uh, yeah. over over a lot of things. Yeah, um, Logan, what well, about you? What do you what do you got? So a foundation. Mine's kind of interesting. Um, so, or at least it's interesting to me, of course. Um, when I sit down to write, I think about a picture, like if someone like Frank Frazetta or Boris Vallejo were given a plot hook what would they paint? And then I envision it in my mind and then I write the story around it. I, I, I used to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've since quit doing that. Solid. But... Um, no, that, that's what I do. Um, when I sit down to write, um, uh, it is also very important to me cause I'm kind of a history nerd and when a sword and sorcery setting is not set even within like a fictional time period in human history, it kind of takes me out of it. Um, I prefer it to be tied to earth. And I'm sure that comes from Robert E. Howard and the Hyborian age. Um, that is something that really, really clicked for me. Okay. That, um, because that's, that's really interesting. I just want to jump in for a second. So yeah. he has like an, yeah, like a time loss setting on earth. I struggle myself because how do you have, how do you have these aspects from our history, these familiar pieces or these um, analogs for our history, which you're going to want to put in there ultimately if you're writing medieval flavored tales? How do you do it if you don't set it at some point on Earth? What's the story there? In some other galaxy far, far away, you have something 
akin to, you know, uh, like the Mongols, like right. That would be that would have very similar aspects. Well, but that's what they. So I mean, I'll get into Liber a little bit. Liber mm. does do that a, a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, I mean, again, they're very loose based um, groups of people. And right. sometimes, sometimes well, like, these names do overlap, and and Howard uh, does it as well, certainly. Well, yeah, and Tolkien yeah, like does, the... but but Tolkien's on Earth, right? Technically, yeah. And so it's... is Howard. Howard's on Earth. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, I took it as an alternate that's... version of Earth, like an alternate dimension, like it's part of a multiverse kind of thing. Because yeah. isn't there like a little blurb? Yeah. At the beginning of one of them that talks about like bubbles floating in a cosmic ocean or something like that. Am I just making yeah. that up? No, I th- well, well, that does sound familiar. I don't know if that's Liber or not. Yeah. It's certainly a concept that's been used in fiction. It's something I'm playing with too, right? It's like I'm trying to justify and tamp down precisely where mine is. I don't want it actually to be a lost history on Earth. I want it to be something else, but there has to be some kind of connection to earth to uh, to work in my brain because otherwise it can't just be completely disconnected because there's too many things that are familiar to our own history yeah i mean i think that that's right. a personal tether maybe that you yeah. need but like yeah I'm, I'm totally cool like if you said that we're reading whatever and then you throw some pyramids in there like i'm, I'm yeah. okay knowing that that is a reference to egypt but it does not have to be earth's egypt I'm, it can be um, Stargate, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, I agree, and I, I feel like if I'm reading the story, it doesn't need to do that. But whereas I, I have gotten caught up somewhat in the world building after all these stories, I'm like, okay, crap. So kind of need to, I kind of need, like, even if it doesn't come out in the stories, I need to know. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And yeah. It seems like that's a personal tether for you, like I said. It is. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. I mean, you know, we're all we all have our our methodology for these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, history is important to me. And I'm honestly going to say, I'm not that creative when it comes to names, cities, names, cultures can do it. It just sounds stupid. <laughs> so like if I can tether it to something real and I can Google, like what are the gods of the Aztec pantheon? And I can use that all the better for me. So do you use it or do you shave off a couple of letters and um yeah I'll way. shave off a couple letters or like <laughs> when Howard goes in um and like Turan is a historical people we basically know nothing about it's just a name that's mentioned a couple times and we associate mm-hmm. it with the culture um mm-hmm. so I'll go back and try and find alternate names in different languages um or older languages um to to kind of compensate so it's not immediately um, apparent that it might be the Aztec god of rain because it's in a different language or kind of mixed around. But Sure. Sure. So just to, uh, you know, to build on that, though, um, you, you know, we're talking about people's places, gods. Uh, the way that I kind of go about that is... So I, I kind of have two approaches. One says my, my quick and dirty, right? I'll go to one of those online generators. Yeah. And yeah. Plug, but I never plug in one. I take two, and then I smoosh them together. Oh. Yeah. So uh-huh. it becomes like a new unique name based on that. And then yeah. I, and then I, then I deny by myself ever having done that. 
And I'm like, I came up with that name all by myself. <laughs> I, I do a lot of lying to myself. That helps me. It's okay. <laughs> that helps Whatever gets you through. Yeah, exactly. Creating um, names is actually like, that's something I really like to do. Yeah, I, mean, and, I don't I don't mind it. I When I'm just, like I said, if it's the quick and dirty, that's, that's the different method. Yeah. But right. It also makes me think of, you know, we're talking a lot about um, setting historical, um, putting things in a historical setting. And I have a problem DMing that. I really, I really enjoy running RPGs in a faux historical setting or, um, or even a real historical setting. But one of the problems that I have is I don't ever feel that I know enough about the period that I'm talking about or running the game for. And I'm mm-hmm. terrified of making mistakes. Like I've, I've wanted to do a hundred years war, uh, yeah, adventure sure. for a long time now, and I sort of just shy away from it because I'm not like the best on it. I mean, I get the idea, but yeah, and even if you're doing it and no one else notices, like say, like I feel like when I have taken the time and GM'd something, and it creates its own internal history and it has its own iconic moments and you check later and then it's not the way it was supposed to be or there was some big error right it just sullies the whole thing yeah right and i'm like oh well i have to retcon this now well, no one else would notice right right, right. but it bothers me so I, i'm more worried about I, I totally other hear you notice yeah, yeah no. now now france won that france won that <laughs> like, oh, yeah that didn't exist right well, your technology i get worried off. enough about if, if I'm running a Hyborian Age thing yeah. <laughs> and I, I have inaccuracies, it's like I'm disappointed in myself. Yeah. Like, oh. I, I expect that I would have inaccuracies. I'm more afraid that I would disappoint others. So right. this is an interesting conversation because I know I've touted this RPG a lot. Um, it's Zenobia. I have the book right here. Oh, yes. um, Damn. And yeah, it's a great book. Um, good stuff. I got it from the author... Or I guess those are games. He sent it to me as a as a thank you for some contact we did back and forth. Um, but the very first paragraph kind of addresses this. Um, Zenobia is set in a f- fantasy version of of ancient Rome, and it says Zenobia is a fantasy vision of the ancient Near East during the darkest days of the Roman Empire, circa 260 A.D. It is not historically accurate. But then, what is historically accurate? Modern scholars still debate matters of truth, context, and events. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. and I I can get behind that easily. Yeah. Because there you've just you've just created an alternate history. Right. Um I, I have no worries. But even then I still have a bit of anxiety about you still there's still research to be done to make oh, it yeah, for sure. feel, feel correct. One thing um before I actually had lost my train of thought, I was thinking about the the biggest issue I have with world building and where I actually see it as a a problem with sword and sorcery is that it it's different from epic fantasy because I don't want I don't want any exposition that involves that like when when you get into like a um, a Game of Thrones situation or sorry a Song of Ice and Fire situation <laughs> book four and five where you're describing a banquet for pages and pages because you're, I mean, that is world building, right? You're talking about the meals they eat at this particular place. That annoys me as a reader. It's an, And I shouldn't Agreed. say, 
I, I can read those passages and I can even enjoy them. But from a storytelling point of view, I'm like, that doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. It matters. Um, which is what it, it matters in the sense that you will read it. And if you're super into the setting, you will crave more about the setting. But if we put that um, idea on top of a sword and sorcery story, it's just goddamn traffic and it's slowing everything down. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to see yeah. the world building. I want to know the world is built and I want whatever is serving the story. I don't want you know distractions from the mighty thews and the, you know, so the battle at hand. The, the lithe and supple forms. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I want it where it's where it's required. And I, I love the world building that is there. I just don't want to see you putting the bricks in place. Yeah, I do not right. want to see that. Does that no, make sense? It, I was going to say, it, it's just interesting. Because, I mean, you're, you're really comparing, like, full fleshed out novels largely to, like, dime store pulp. Yeah. You yeah, know? exactly. And, 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 I'm not, and you're I'm not, not going to get like you, those two things aren't the same. They're not going to be the same. No, and I'm not, and I'm not saying they should be or they should be uh, compared as such. I'm just making making the point of the difference between something like epic fantasy and sword and sorcery. Since we're focusing on sword and sorcery and world building, it would be something that would make something un sword and sorcery to me if they spent too much time on something like that. Uh, yeah, right, and I I agree with that. Um, but you know, at the same time, there's I think the illusions that you get in a sword and sorcery tale is a lot that that is world building like that and to me that that's very rich and it's it's almost better to never and again this is a dm idea for me is you don't you don't build the bricks like you you let the imagination mm. do that yeah mm. you know i love i love i love that a little bit more like when you hear uh like a city of thieves Right, you know, you've now mm -hmm. built something in this world, but that's actually uh, that's actually really interesting too, and it kind of relates to Logan popping out the RPG book. Have you guys ever flipped through on Mighty Thews? Now you've mentioned it before, though. Yeah, you've mentioned it. I yeah, don't think I've ever had. So uh, I wish I had uh, the information close by. I would I would um, cite the author, but it's it's a very minimal system, um, and it's something you. You're not you're not going to play a long campaign that lasts years and or months and years in your own time, but one of the things you do is like you collectively create a map of the setting at the beginning yeah. and you plot particular points. So it sort of has this ad lib uh, spontaneity, right? So I've told you. It just, reminds me of that. Yeah, just to hop into the whole DMing thing, I've I've alluded to before that my style has kind of grown into a very very collaborative storytelling style where i ask the players what they see you remember i brought that up before yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so very similarly uh some of the ideas that, I, that i've started to take on from other games that i've that i've been reading is at the beginning of a session you don't even need to plan a session what rumors have you heard lately mm. right you clever girl you know like that's another that's another type of question so what rumors have you heard and now you're world building, right? Maybe you've heard that the, you know, I'll just steal from uh, Elder Scrolls. The Dark Brotherhood is up to blah, blah, blah. Now there's a Dark Brotherhood in the world, right? You've now built something in the world that you all accept is true. Mm -hmm. And you, of these rumors, go decide what you do for the night. You know, maybe you go investigate that and we'll build that as we go. Yeah, I'm yeah. a big fan that, of that. That's genius. Collaborative, collaborative storytelling aspect. I mean, 
that's that's the best when when you get a group of players where you're all contributing a piece and if you have a system that encourages it as well yeah and, and I, like I, I believe all systems do i think it, it has more to do with the players than it does the system sure yeah i would say if a system doesn't explicitly um encourage it um it's it's always there for the taking right yep exactly yeah yeah and like if we go back to howard um i think tower of the elephant has probably the most world building outside of the Hyborian Age essay, at least in my memory, because mm-hmm. we get a little bit of exposition on how uh, Yagkosha uh, Yag gets to Earth. And But if you think about it, as he's writing this, I don't believe that he had some of these names and places and stuff in his head. I think he was writing from the hip, and it yeah. came out as the planet Yog, and his name is Yagkosha. Yeah. And if you think about a lot of the names of things in other stories, we have Thog. We have another Thog with an AU instead of an OU. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. O. Like, exactly. We get a lot of similar things, and that's just him being him. It's mm-hmm. not deliberate world building. Well, I mean, the whole the three King stories all have like similar layers, right? Yeah. Similar, similar plots that occur there. Um, and I mean, you're right. That's just from the hip. He's cannibalizing his own ideas. Yeah. And there's um, always characters named Amalric, or and it's spelled differently a few times. Yeah. And I saw a long time ago on the old Conan.com forums people hypothesizing who Amalric Rut was because there's so many people named Amalric that there had to be a historical figure in the Iborian age that was important enough to make this name popular. Mm. And that's world building. He didn't yeah. mean for it to happen, <laughs> right. but it did. Yeah. Well, and it's like, there's gray, there's gray man apes everywhere, bro. Yeah, everywhere. Watch out. You create a cool, I mean, a cool man eating ape. Like, keep going. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> That's so rad. Yeah. So, um, um, I think maybe our biggest, um, our next biggest point would be would be non-human characters. Sure. How how do we feel about non-human characters? <laughs> So, I mean, as I made in our notes, as I wrote in our notes, Elric is a non-human character. He is. He's so, basically an elf. I think you have to be okay yeah. with it. I, I think oh, yeah. you're right. I think... I think there are some caveats, though. Um, Elric is a member of a dying race. Um, sure. As we talked to Scott, Scott Odin last time, his orc character is the last orc. And another, let's see here. In in Howard, the serpent men are a dying race. The non-humans that live underground are a dying race. Thulsa Doom is the last of his kind. Um, worms of the earth. Yeah, worms of the earth, dying race. Broken sword, the elves, the ogres, all of them, dying race. Mm. And then Primeval Thule is an RPG system where all of the non-humans are extremely rare and or going extinct. So is that a requirement to have your non-human sword and sorcery? I would say no, but I mean, I would prefer it uh, to not have orcs as your average neighbor. Um, right. But it, but if you had all the other ingredients for the storytelling, you know, for sword and sorcery, and it also happened to be populated by mixed races everywhere and like, 
no one was actually got preferential treatment. Like humans weren't the star of your show. Um, I think it, you could still tell a sword and sorcery story with that. However, it, it isn't, it's not really what I want. Um, I think it's hard not, to do. I, I think it's hard to do. I, th I think that yeah. I, I, there are exceptions, uh, mm -hmm. but I think the large rule is it is a human uh, run genre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so it, it is. It, it is. So, sorry, others. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, <laughs> others. Um, so The Witcher, I'll admit to only having read the first Witcher book, which is The Last Wish. Is that the short um, stories? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the short stories. The first one is short stories. Yeah. Um, and if you've played The Witcher games, you know there's elves, there's dwarves, there's halflings. Um, there's a lot going on in that world, but I feel like the short stories are as close to sword and sorcery as I've seen in a high fantasy setting. Well, I've said also like yeah. early, early Forgotten Realms books tend to do which I haven't read, yeah, but I could tend I could to be that. tend to be on that um, more sword and sorcery type uh, self-serving heroes. Which is kind of what they were going for in their first edition of D and D, yeah. which I think we've talked about before too. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so I mean, I think I, I, I think it can be done. I think it's just again, I'm speaking in terms of the rule. I think generally speaking, um, it, it's going to be a human-driven world, uh, and I'm. I think it's awesome that there are exceptions that are good, uh, but I think largely a someone someone who's trying to pull that off is going to fall into a fantasy. Uh, a, a typical fantasy trope. Yeah, and then, well, because then that's going to lure you into um, magic. more magic stuff. Yeah, and magic. creating creating rules for your world. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Which, again, I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just the more you do that, the less mystery you have. Right. Right, and I think sword and sorcery is a lot about the weird. And the mysterious. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. when you start creating rules and the characters are learning them and the readers are learning them. It just, it, that's where it starts to fall away from sword and sorcery for me. I definitely agree. I think reading a Conan story or a Cole story, a Cole, especially Cole is steeped in the mystery aspect. Yeah. And the, it's, he's the, very philo philosophical. Exactly. Um, compared and, to Conan. Yeah, and philosophy, in a sense, is a mystery when you know you're, yeah. you're considering all these possibilities and strings and strands. Um, and you're right, yeah, Cull is very much about that. The other, and like, oh, go ahead, Alex. No, Sorry. I was going to say I was going to bring up Elric for a minute. Um, yeah. So the speaking specifically just on the first book, it, it's almost cheating in some ways, and I love the the first Elric book anyway, but it's primarily them within their own setting you know mm -hmm. those are the adventure tale but they're dealing with Melnibonaeans um, almost yeah. exclusively and yes mm -hmm. there's a period of time where they kind of hop to human lands but it's it's very it's very side part of the story it just kind of helps the plot they're dealing with the interactions between Melnibonaeans which means to me that that's essentially an interchangeable fact with being human Right in terms of like for the reader, the reader is reading yeah. a, about a humanoid person that has humanoid feelings, that has a humanoid uh, problem that you can totally relate to, and they just happen to be Melnibonians. So mm. I think that like Elric's an exception, 
And I think yeah. later books explore the human versus Melnibinane dynamic more. But that first book is primarily just I got a I got an issue with my cousin and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna solve some problem you know, we're gonna we're gonna duke it out in the end. And yeah. we're, we're, I wanna cover this story. I wanna cover Elric more. We have owe ourselves We have an episode planned yeah, for Elric. Yeah. That is an upcoming episode for sure to really dive into that a little bit more. Um, and we don't do Elric any justice on this show. Um, so we, we, need no. to, we need to be a little more uh, cautious with that. But again, I, what, to, to the point of world building and to uh, races, I think that it fits because he's portrayed as humanoid. I mean, it's not, that he's, it's not a multitude of races. He has all the problems that you and I have. Yeah. Yeah. And he himself is weak among his own race. Right, he's a drug addict. Right, he's a drug um, addict. Sorcery. He can only lift his, or like he can only fight if with his sword in his hand or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is even before he gets. Um, oh my god. Well, he's always I'm a formidable. He's a formidable sorcerer. Stormbringer. Yeah, he's he's a <laughs> formidable you. sorcerer before that. As, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. And it's yeah. not that he's. I don't want to say that he's weak. I mean, he he's very. Yeah. He's physically, he's physically frail. Yeah, he's physically frail. He's, uh, he's got the blood disorder, doesn't he? Y- yes. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't remember what it is. But, and, but it, the drugs that he takes brings him to a relative approximation of mm-hmm. right. other people. Now, that doesn't mean that he would uh, defeat, you know, his, his cousin, specifically his cousin. Um, I, we're diving too deep into this, but so anyway, yeah. What, yeah, I, what, yeah. I, what I mean to say is that um, I do think that he, Elric is an exception, and you know we'll handle that accordingly. Sorry. Well, here's I, interesting too. I can maybe segue a little. Um, he gets help from Arioc, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but yeah, the demon is essentially God. a demon from Hell with a capital H. Mm-hmm. Um, hell with a capital H pops up in kinds of stories you make of hell as a non religious you know from the religions of our world um as a as a setting as a feature in in these kinds of tales does that i (laughs) huh um because i i have i have written it into mine simply because it's easier and that there there has to be it just makes sense that there has to be some kind of uh, consequential afterlife, right? And and hell is so ingrained in our planet yeah. and, and so easy in the reader's mind that I've just used it. Rather than, I actually think it takes, it, it's more if I called it something, you if know. If called it something else, it wouldn't work as well. Yeah, and it would be like on Battlestar Galactica when they say frack instead of yeah. FPK. It's just annoying to me. So... One of my favorite movies of all time is not Sword and Sorcery, um, but it is Dodgeball with oh, uh, Ben Stiller. Freaking love that movie. Hilarious. Um, movie. At one point, Pirate Steve says, I'm going to send you to hell. And it's one of my most memorable lines of any movie ever. I just. <laughs> That's I, I your side? Yeah, you, I love it. You deliver that much like you deliver your, your Mako lines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah. did sound like Mako there. <laughs> we have a guy on our team that dressed like a pirate. <laughs> well, nobody makes me bleed my own blood but yeah um i guess so not to talk too much about elric because we're gonna do it before or later i mean um but 
Elric exists on an Earth, a version of Earth that gets remade into our Earth. And he kind of treats it as a dimension. Hell is a dimension. Um, Hell is also a dimension in uh, uh, Pathfinder and D&D. I I think it might have a different name in D&D, but it's definitely referred to a couple times as Hell and Pathfinder. There are the nine Hells in D&D. Right, yeah, yeah, that's it. Because that's where demons come from. Demons and devils. So treating as a dimension is interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I hate, the name. I hate the, that, by the way. Oh, look at you! you. Hell is a dimension. You I, want I, to be like literally in the earth. You no, need to go and watch so the Vin Horizon and come back right now. <laughs> I I've never really dug the the hell concept. I don't. It's just me. Like I, it's I get it. There's I I feel like you need something, and I understand that. I don't necessarily have a better alternative, but. Mm-hmm. When it's like, you know, the journey into hell or like we're going to go fight something in hell, it, it just seems a little weak to me. You know, to, to be, I agree. And like, I don't. Yeah, I agree with even, all those statements. I don't have hell. I don't have it in my brain that hell actually exists in my setting. But it's like I want, I, and we've talked about this before, which is something we can touch on on a, on a future episode, which I'd like to, is the idea that having our own colloquialisms of our modern language in our sword and sorcery stories. And for me, I used to hate that idea, but now I would prefer like rather than go down the Battlestar Galactica road of creating curse words, I would rather just use the ones we have and hell is a curse as as well as anything else. And and I have no problem with problem with it in that context, or if you refer to it as like, you know, you know, I'm going to send you to hell or something mm. like that. No problem. The minute you're like, we, as part of my plot, we are going into hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, that's not my jam. That's not my yeah. jam. I just, I just feel like I, I like I, <laughs> when I'm writing characters. I want them to sound like interesting characters that aren't like, all right, let's go on an adventure. Here we yeah. are, men. All those things you said are why I prefer historical settings. I think it's just yeah. easier. Um, or even something remotely tied to Earth. Like Yeah. That that just Yeah. You I don't think... you don't have to make up the names to sound silly. And I actually like, for example, the Witcher does a good job. Like, what is it? The f- the the f- eternal flame. That's 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 God. That's Christian God. Yeah, um, but and, he and just I mean, calls it the Eternal Flame, and it's ambiguous, and it works because you just know what it is. Right? Yeah, and they have clear analogs for yeah. like the Scottish or the Celts or what have you. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. you know a lot of this came from you know I had I had a big realization moment with with Scott on the last episode when he was talking about how where he felt writers failed in echoing. The co- uh, um, sorry, Howard's voice, right? And in the, that they write fantasy rather than write history, right? Um, you know, a facsimile of uh, of Earth or something like that. And that was a real eye opener to me for what I want out of yeah. world building. And it was suddenly like you totally just put your finger on exactly like what I actually was thinking, but I never knew how to how to vocalize it really. And and you do like. 
that that historical feel and setting I think makes it uh, a smoother world for the genre. Yeah, because like if you take um, what we mentioned last episode that Scott, I, I kind of agree that he's probably the best facsimile of Howard that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are other great authors, but I think he did a really good job on his short story that I've read. Um, and we take it with like Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan's Conan uses like thou art and like Shakespearean language. That's Are you fantasy. Sure that was Robert Jordan who did that. I know one of them did, but I don't know if it was Jordan. I'm pretty sure I have one of the books, but I could be wrong. Yeah. That's yeah, either way, I didn't. I, yeah, I know I did not feel that uh, and, Jordan got Conan. You know. Yeah, and like in the first chapter of one of Jordan's books that I did read, he's already introducing like snake people that are like hybrids and they're minions and like it's just it's it's fantasy and robert jordan is most famous for the wheel of time series which is just fantasy yeah and and i can enjoy that too right but i will you know i want to know what i'm getting when i'm when i'm gonna read conan or or you know fofford and gray mouser or something like that there's an expectation about what i want uh Mm -hmm. and you know it's not that necessarily yeah, hundred percent. Another story uh, slash author that we have not touched on is Carl Edward Wagner's Kane, and this is interesting because in those stories you don't really have a consistent setting. Yeah, Kane is immortal, and he he takes place over or he he sort of stomps around several different ages. Uh, including the, the our own modern setting, which would have been in like the seventies. Um, so I wonder, I wonder what what that says about sword and sorcery, world building, and how important it is. Because really, you're totally focusing on the character in that regard, right? You're totally focusing on who he is, and you're not having any, um, you're not having reoccurring characters, because each time he pops up, it's with yeah in a new place and you'll hear people will remember tales of this red haired swordsman in, 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 um, like ancient history. Yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, he's, Oh, and he's returned. I wonder if this is red cane. Right. I think that was in darkness weaves. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. And there he is, he pops up. So I think in, in some ways those stories tell us, another something about sword and sorcery and world building in that it can change. And the, the, the setting is less important than the characters, who they are, what they do, what they want. Sure. Yeah. But however, in that example, yeah, maybe you can take a look at Kane as a foundational piece of the world building. And I realize that that's yeah. a, another mm-hmm. weird way to kind of say that because he is a character. So of course he is. But mm. you're essentially saying that here is this entity that can exist in different time periods within this world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're so you're making a statement about the world. Yeah. Yeah. So Kane's interesting. Like of all the sword and sorcery characters other than Conan, he's the one I've read most of. I really enjoy I really enjoy the Kane stories. Carl Edward Wagner was a, a great author. Um the points in history are sometimes his fictional history are sometimes referenced. Um, they talk about the Lartroxian combine or it's forming a number mm-hmm. of times, mm-hmm. but it's 
almost always used to emphasize Kane's immortality. It's the history existing is almost a characteristic of the character that he's yeah. seen and done everything. And it just makes each story all the more. Oh my God, it's Kane. Yeah. And yeah. in some ways he, he reminds me and Wagner reminds me of Howard in the sense that he was more so using a through line character in uh, caring less about the overall internal uh, history or logics and, and more so just like what's going to serve my tale this time. Yeah. I, right? I feel that. So it's, it's but, interesting. Uh, go ahead. Oh no, 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 go ahead. So I was going to say, it, it's interesting how our tastes and, uh, and our perception of the genre have changed a little bit since starting um, mm. the, the, yeah. po the podcast. That's exactly you know, what I was going to say. We've, we've really started to uh, refine what we like a little bit. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's like it's like the, that saying about art, right? You know, I, I don't know what good art is, but I, I know it when I see it. You know, it's that, it's that right. sort of thing. Yeah. Like, we feel that way about sword and sorcery. We don't know exactly what it is, but when, when we see it, we like it. Well, and by God, I hope no one actually... Um thinks that we are pretending we are in any way big authorities on this issue. No. We're just three jabronis, uh, <laughs> you know, discussing our takes on, on, yeah. on this thing. Right? Just a conversation, and, uh, just a conversation right. about it. That's right. Uh, you know, we were really, uh, I think Scott sparked a lot uh, for us. And again, it sort of is re refining yeah. how we view things a little bit and, and what we like and, and how to, vocalize what we like so we thought we'd kind of dig in a little bit more and just sort of talk yeah because at this point um personally i'm not 100 percent sure that i consider sword and sorcery a, a a true genre um there's so many blurred lines looking at our notes and what we've talked about um i i have a new concept of my favorite fantasy type of story the only thing that I can I can definitely pin down of what is and isn't sword and sorcery is when it comes to art. And sword oh, yeah. and sorcery art is painted brushes. <laughs> that, that, that's what it is for me. I'm not saying it's yeah, with no, setting uh, or it's with the characters that sword and sorcery art looks a particular way and you would have found it on paperbacks in the 70s. Because uh, there's that, that, certain... not gonna that's not gonna change for me. And on VHSs in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. there's just a certain like living quality that you get with with the brush. Um, yeah. I mean, we can look at Frazetta or Boris or some of those early comic um, covers. Painting and, with fire, man. Painting yeah, with fire. exactly, exactly. There's no better way to put it. Yeah, I, I suppose uh, that wraps up what we want to say on this, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah episode I mean... ten. What? Was that Rogues in the House? What? <laughs> Episode what 10, that? Rogues in the House. Episode 10. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen, if you don't let me be Arnold every time, I'm going to start rapping. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Oh, boy. All right, so anyway, um, I think that we're going to wrap this up. Um, thank you, always, as always, for, for joining us. Um, Come see us on the Facebook page. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. Uh, definitely leave us a like. Send mail. Send mail. Yeah, that's, with us. yeah we're always looking do. for topics, too. So yeah. chime in on we've the topics. Got, um, 
we've got a few more mapped out, but not not anything that's necessarily going to come up next. And actually, this something you said earlier, Logan, or not, like not long ago, was uh, the idea that you don't know what sword and sorcery is anymore. I really want to look at sword and sorcery adjacent genres. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. Mix that up because Should I think there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. We, I've been watching some kung fu movies with my friend Nick, so I'm, I'm I love it. Studying up for this. I love it. That's good. Mm-hmm. Get some monk on monk action. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you weren't gonna say it, I, I had it. Yeah, got to be double for that. You know, no, I def- I want to hit uh, Sword and Planet, which I don't think that I can speak too deeply in. Um, I think we we really need to do a Saturday morning cartoon. Agreed. Uh, episode yeah. at some point too so we could talk about fundar and and saturday morning yeah. cartoons would actually tie in nicely to, sword. to sword and planet yes well that's kind yeah. of where I, I was logically extending from there. and i'm gonna need to reread almoric by robert e howard and yeah definitely oh, yeah. in the upcoming episodes is the elric episode we uh owe yeah. listeners that one big time. and i'm sure we'll talk about kane at some point um at least tenuously, I would like to talk about Weird West because I think that's just the extension of sword and sorcery in a more mm-hmm. modern age. Uh, we will never talk about steampunk. No. Until we do. <laughs> no, no, no. That's when I quit. I Mark not. my words. How do you, how do you feel about airships? I feel terribly uh, I'm going to go puke right now. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you, uh, so one very parting, quick parting story. Final Fantasy 1, so this off the heels of our, our video game episode. Uh, I, I loved... Base combat. I loved Final <laughs> Fantasy 1. Well, come on now, this is like... I, I'm kidding, I'm messing with you. <sighs> you. It's just his opinion, I Alex. I understand it's beloved, and I even played that one a little bit. Alright, let just... me finish my story. Yeah. <laughs> God. Always doing that to me. So, Sorry. I played Final Fantasy 1 and really enjoyed it, up until the point where they got to an airship. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not yes. doing this. Yes. Now, that said, that said, there's plenty of uh, Monster Hunter airship action uh, from time to time. So. Oh, no. I feel like, oh, no. you know what? Honestly, I vaguely remember. Let me take that back. Logan, you could still get Monster Hunter rolled. I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's an airship in it. Okay. Except for the ones that are in it. <laughs> You just have to Monster. shuffle that off to the side. You, you're looking at the killing. The, I know. The I'm monsters. already, I'm already accepting anime cats. So, I'm, we're working on you. Kung Fu movies, <laughs> anime cats. Anime cats. Yeah. We're gonna be talking about swords. steampunk in three episodes. <laughs> Giant swords held by small arms that could never wield them. Well, oh, but I'm so angsty, so angsty. <laughs> My hair is so spiky. How does this happen? Where's my hair gel? Physics doesn't work on hair. <laughs> Physics doesn't work on hair. So we love we love all that. <laughs> uh, and spiky hair and small arms and big swords. Yes, please. Also, if you can do it in anime art, I'm so psyched about it. I, I, I mind these things less than you, apparently. I, I enjoy I enjoy me plenty of anime. It doesn't, it doesn't make me happy. It doesn't make me happy disliking these things. It's just the way I am. Yeah, it makes you happy. I, 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 one thing I've learned is that disliking things makes you happy. Look at the smile on my face. It's <laughs> so big. You, you derive joy from disliking. 
<laughs> Sorry, send me, send me some hate mail. Yeah. Well, the, the nice thing is you can like and enjoy and you dislike and enjoy. So, you know, you're really getting it all, all at once. Hey, yeah. I am winning. I am you're, winning. Tiger you're blood. Winning at life. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's an episode. Um, we've sort of talked ourselves out of an outro. Um, so really the only thing that's left to say is may your swords always what Matt? Remain sharp. May your swords always remain sharp. Conquered! We gotta figure that out. Yeah. Philosophy, in a sense, is a mystery. France won that. I'm so angsty. So angsty. <laughs> <laughs> My hair is so spiky. <laughs>